fun. Um, I have one other thing that I want to do with you guys this morning. You guys know that we have a ministry downtown. It's called The Bridge. It's a youth ministry. And um, we have the opportunity to minister to a bunch of kids down there. Um, and, and really, it's on a Friday. We are open five days a week. There's something always going on. Um, but on Friday nights, which is kind of the big to-do, there's anywhere from 150, we've been averaging up to 200 and even over 200. One time it was 225, I think was our most. Um, kids on a Friday night. And um, we've been doing what's called family time, uh, 8 o'clock, where we bring the kids to all of them around the stage. And if you've seen the bridge picture, uh, or on the, a picture on the bridge's Facebook page, there's one time where we took a photo, there was about 175 of them all up on the stage. Um, but we, we bring them down in front of the stage and we share with them um, uh, basically in um, a non-discriminate way about um, Jesus, about God's love for them. Um, and we do so in creative ways, and, and a lot of the youth pastors in our community come alongside Justin and the staff down there to, to do that. Um, this week, God was doing some really cool things, and we have prayer request box boxes throughout the facility where kids can write prayer requests, either by anonymous or, or by putting their name and receive prayer. And I want to share these things to you First of all, for the purpose of praying for these kids and to be praying for the work that's going on down there, but also so you can get an idea of what we're dealing with in that ministry. So here's one of the prayer requests. This one's anonymous. Please pray for me. My prayer request is my brothers and I got taken. I'm going to read it just as it it is. Got taken from my mother after she started doing drugs and things and I haven't been really, or and things have been really hard, and I can't see my brothers. This one name is uh, none. Prayer request. I was raped. Please help me. Danielle. Her prayer request to be skinny. Um, here's another one, that my uncle will stop drinking. This one just says, that she will forgive me. This one other little girl says, to stop being judged. To believe that God is actually here. For my and it's just an I just you gotta understand these these kids are going through such adult problems and they're lost and they're confused and they just need someone to tell them that they're worth and the, that they're they're important because of, of of who because of what God thinks of them and and for example this one little girl writes and she says my prayer request is for my ex boyfriend to love me and only me. Um. This one girl asked for prayer requests for her brother, who has a girl pregnant, and he's only 17. This one asks for prayer requests to believe in God. Um, This one asks for um, her mom's surgery to go well. This one just simply says, to be happy. This one says, with with an unhappy smiley face, a frown face, 
for my dad to stop doing drugs. So, um, obviously, a lot of these are, are anonymous, but God knows who they are. And we're dealing with real problems that, um, um, well, we'll put it this way. The problems that are down there and that these kids are facing, we have the opportunity to make um, a, a forever change in their life, a forever, dis, a, a forever difference in bringing to them um, the love of Jesus Christ. And I was just talking to Justin about it, about it, and one of the reasons I decided to share this with you is because we know that ultimately the battle's won um, through prayer, through prayer. And um, so we just ask that you would pray for those kids, but pray that we who volunteer down there, and if you're interested in doing so, Justin is the one who leads worship on Sunday morning. She's over there in the back. You can speak to him afterwards. You can get signed up to come down there and help volunteer as well if you if you desire to do so, but pray for us so that we will have opportunities to to um, build relationships with these kids, so that they'll be willing to share these things with us, um, not just be willing to share them with us in person, and not just through an anonymous uh, prayer request. But we're grateful that they do because we know God knows, and then they're really asking us to partner with them, and it's that first step of having them open up to us. And um, there's been other prayer requests in the past that I've shared with you. Some of them are about kids who are contemplating suicide and just so you know last week two kids in high school together attempted to commit suicide in um in our here on our town here a boy and a girl overdosed on prescription medications together and fortunately um they were, their lives were both spared and they and um they have this chance at uh, a new beginning but the youth in our in our world today they're suffering the worth the youth in our um community today are suffering and the answer is the love of God, and um, so be praying for us. All right, this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. If you would open up your Bible there to Exodus chapter 12, um, um, we're going to jump into this continued account of the of the Passover and the tenth plague. And as we began our study last week, if you remember, Moses he was standing before Pharaoh, and he was warning Pharaoh about this last plague, one more plague, the tenth plague which would bring a final judgment from God, as God said that he would strike all of Egypt, in, uh, um, with, uh, st- actually strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt with this plague of death. And as this, uh, and this judgment was spoken against Egypt as a result of Pharaoh's continued hard heart, a hardening of his heart and, and a continued resistance to, to ultimately God's demand to let his people go. But also as a result, as Pharaoh's, continue, as Pharaoh's continued resistance uh, against these mighty works that God was doing, because these mighty works that God was doing was a clear demonstration that He, the God of the Hebrews, was the one true and living God, and that the gods that the um, Egyptians worshipped were false gods. And um, God was making Himself known to them. And, but Pharaoh and the, Hebrew, and the Egyptian people were hardening the hearts to these things as well. And in light of this plague of death, God, like He had previously done, we know that He had promised to make a distinction between the Egyptians and Israel and to protect His people from this death that was coming upon the land. And in doing so, back in chapter 12, in the first half of it, in verses 12 through 13, um, God said that He would pass over them when He passed through the land of Egypt to strike the firstborn in the land. However, 
we read and we know that God's promise to pass over His people was a conditional promise. And God required them to take a lamb. One, we're told, that um, was defect or without defect, without any kind of injury, without a spot, without a blemish, and they were to kill this lamb. And they were to gather the blood of that lamb into a basin. They were to take uh, hyssop and dip that um, into the, the blood in the basin, and they were to strike both uh, sides of the doorpost and across the top of the door of their house um, that they were in. And this blood, God said, was going to be a sign. It was to be a sign for the death or the angels of death to pass over those who had gathered together in this home. And we see that ultimately through it, it was, it was some faith that was being exercised. Now, we're going to talk about that this morning as well. But as we read about these things, as we read about these things last week, I pointed out that in these chapters that record these events, starting in chapter 11 and going on through chapter 13, which we'll get to next week, there are really five different aspects of the Passover that is being presented to us. And last week we talked about two. The first is in regards to how the Passover related to the Egyptian people. And without going back over all the details from last week's studies, I want to remind us that the Passover as it related to Pharaoh and as it related to the Egyptian people was ultimately a just compensation for sinning against God, for rejecting God's mercy and the knowledge of who He is that had been revealed to them. In addition to this, we took a detailed look at the second aspect of the Passover in regards to how it related to the Hebrew people, God's children. And even though the sacrificial death of the Lamb was the means, the, the ordained means by which God, God that, by the way which the, God's people or the Hebrew people would be spared from this judgment of death, we ultimately saw that um, this judgment or this Passover was a new beginning. It was a new beginning as God used this final judgment to deliver His people, to lead them out of Egypt. And it was this event that would bring them together as a nation. And it's cool to remember that because we're told that when Abraham went in to Egypt some 400 years prior to this event, that they went in as a family, but yet they came out as a mighty nation. And we know that God had predicted this. God had promised this. And... um in light of this command, the Hebrew people, uh, in light of this, excuse me, God commanded the Hebrew people um, to remember the Passover feast, to, to celebrate it annually. And, and it was a reminder for every generation that followed after them of how God struck Egypt with His mighty hand and how He had delivered Israel out of their bondage. So as we look at the specific commands regarding the Passover that God had given to His people, we also looked at the Passover as a picture, uh, a foretelling um, of the Messiah. And it was a picture that looks forward to the Messiah. And, and we looked also in, 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 in how, and, um, how that relates to us, or how it relates to us today with Jesus, as the Bible teaches us, being our Passover lamb. And... Um, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you, if you're interested in that, to go to our website and listen to last week's study. It's there, and, and we go into detail about how Jesus is the Passover lamb and what that means to us today. But as we continue on this morning and finish the rest of this chapter, chapter 12, we're going to look into the third aspect of the Passover 
and, and really, if you're taking notes, it's in regards to how the Passover related to the Lord, or how the Passover relates to the Lord. And so, we're going to begin in verse 29, that's where we left off, and um, I'll read and you can follow along. And in verse 29, we're told that it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who were in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then, verse 31, he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Also, verse 32, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it had leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes, on their shoulders, and the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what was or what they had requested, and thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then verse 37 says, The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sokuth, about six hundred thousand men on foot besides the children a mixed multitude went with them also in flocks and herds a great deal of livestock and they baked unleavened cakes of dough which they had brought out of egypt for it was not leavened because they were driven out of egypt and they could not wait nor had they prepared previous provisions for themselves now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is, verse 42, and you can can highlight this or underline this, whatever you do there in your Bible if you're writing it, it says, it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is an ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten, and you shall not carry away any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. And, and we see that this, this command, these are similar to the commands that had been given leading up to this. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let it, let all of the males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. And it came to pass that on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Lord, 
I pray, God, that you would help us to see the truths that are in your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would help the distractions of our everyday life fade away as we draw near to you and come into your presence through the study of your word. Lord, I pray that um, those things that are weighing heavy on our hearts this morning, that you would encourage us as we are reminded of your great love for us. And ever we're reminded of how you too have delivered us um, out of Egypt, Lord, out of the world and out of um, that place where we were in bondage to our sin. And Lord, as we see how the Passover related to you and what you did in it and through it, God, help us to see exactly what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, as we consider these verses, the 29 on through the rest of this chapter, and this aspect of the Passover as it relates to the Lord, it's important to point out something of importance that might be dismissed as just semantics. And what I mean is that when people speak of the Passover today, and you've probably heard this, they typically refer to it as the Jewish Passover, right? But when we consider what the Word of God says, we... We, we see that all throughout the Word of God, the Passover is always referred to as the Lord's Passover. Without fail, every time it's mentioned, the Lord's Passover, the, last, the Lord's Passover. And this is first seen back in the beginning of this chapter in verse 11, and then again in, in, in verse 27, and then in other places in the Bible, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and Numbers chapter 9, and, and, and so on and so forth, where we read of more instructions or com- more commands that were given in conjunction with the Passover. And when we consider this, we see that the observance of the Passover for the Hebrew people was, was so much more than, than, than um, a day to commemorate and celebrate their national independence. It, 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 and and um, this is because the feast that they were to keep was in conjunction with this day of remembrance was, it, was, a, was according to verse 42, the one that I asked you to highlight or underline. It was, according to verse 42, a night of solemn observance to the Lord. Why? For bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And then, according to verse 48, it's kind of restated to us that when it says that it was to be kept to the Lord. Kept to the Lord. In other words, the Passover observance was to give attention to the Lord. That day, the continued remembrance of it was to give observance to the Lord. Why? Because what occurred on that night was all because of Him. And the fact that the Lord is mentioned, I counted it 17 times in this one chapter, quote-unquote, the Lord, it reminds us that God was the one in charge. God was the one in charge. And that's something that God wants us to know and something that we need to look at in relationship to the Passover. So as we consider the Passover as it relates to the Lord and look back to these first two verses that we read, verses 29 and 30, if you'll look there, we first see that that by the Passover or through the Passover, God revealed His power. And it may not be in the way that we initially think. And of course, God said He was doing that through all of the, the, the plagues. That, that it was his mighty, and, and, and he would stretch out his hand and do mighty works and signs and wonders. And it was a revelation of God's power. And, 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 it, and through it, God was making himself known. But it was, there was a difference in regards to the demonstration of God's power with the Passover. And I want to point that out. I want to bring that out this morning to us. 
You see, after the Passover or, 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 or after the, 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 the Hebrew people celebrated this Passover, um, um, we know that they did so in accordance to the commands that they would receive. Um, and, and we know that they then waited after they had celebrated the Passover with the, the eating of the lamb and the eating of the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs and, and in the manner that God had told them to do so, gathering together as a family, eating all the flesh of the animal so that was none was left, preparing it and cooking it, everything that God had said, after they did that, they were then to wait. To wait. Once they had covered the outside of the door and partaken of the, the flesh of the lamb, they were to wait. And remember, they were told that they were to wait in the, in the same manner that they had eaten, with their belt on their waist, their sandals on their feet, and their staff in their hand. And they were to wait for that signal to depart, God's signal to depart. And in verse 29, it tells us, just like Pharaoh or Moses had spoken it to Pharaoh that it was a, that it was at midnight when the Lord came and struck all the firstborn when he visited every Egyptian household and just like God had warned back in chapter eleven verse six it did not matter we read here what the person's status was in Egypt or how much wealth a person had because Death came, we're told here, to the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, just like it did to the Egyptian who was captive in the dungeon. Consequently, there was a great cry in all of Egypt, for there was not one, not a single house where there was not one dead. And when it comes to death, I'm sure we've all heard it said that death is the great equalizer, right? Or that death is no respecter of persons. Yet when it comes to the Hebrew people, we saw that this was not the case. And this is when we begin to see and realize this demonstration of God's power through the Passover and how it was different from everything else. You see, God said that He would protect His people. And He did. And God protected His people from this plague and, and even though every single household throughout Egypt in regards to the Egyptians was affected by this, we know that not a, not a single death occurred among the Jewish people in the land of Goshen for those who put the blood on the outside of the door of their house. In light of this, I think there are two important truths that are being presented for us to consider in regards to the Passover being a demonstration of God's power. And the first is the fact that all life is in God's hands. All life is in God's hands. He is the giver and the taker of life. And this is declared in many places throughout the Bible. If you do a word search on that kind of phrase, you'll find where that's mentioned multiple times by multiple people. In fact, God Himself with His own words declares this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, and he says this, Now see that I, even I, am He, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there anyone who can deliver from my hand. 
But when we consider this in the context of the events that were leading up to this plague of death, we have to conclude that God takes no pleasure in death. Even when it is the death of the wicked. And the prophet Ezekiel affirms this to us in Ezekiel 33 verse 11. It's not that God as the giver and taker of life is like, yes, I got another one. It's not how He is. They deserved it. And and events leading up to this shows that to us over and over and over again is God was merciful and gracious and long-suffering towards Pharaoh and the Egyptian people through this process. Nine times He came to them. Let my people go. Nine times He used miraculous things to reveal Himself to them, to make Himself known to them. And so as a result of this, and as a result of these truths that we read about, and what we see going on in the Passover at this point, we must understand that God's desire is for every person to choose life. God's desire is for everyone to take the way of escape that He has made available to them. Remember this plague of death, this tenth plague that God had 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 given, um, or that God had brought. We know that that. Um, Pharaoh and the Egyptian people had repeated opportunity to choose life by taking hold of what God had made known to them and by ultimately doing what God had asked of them. And as we look at this tenth plate, if you remember, it, it was put forth in the same fashion as the rest where God really said, okay, Pharaoh, you'll do this or even one time the wordage was or else, right? Or else. And the ultimate or, or, or else was seen with this, this promise or this warning that was brought forth that his firstborn son, as well as all the others throughout the land of Egypt, would perish if he refused. You know, as we read that and we understand that, the truth is, is we might be tempted to think that, that, that only being able to choose God in his ways or else is, is, is a tyrannical or unloving thing. But when we consider the fact that God is the Creator, we have to remember that. That truth helps us to see this in a different light. Because when we consider the fact that God is the Creator, we see that He is not only the giver of life, but the sustainer of life. And we should realize that that, that death naturally occurs for everyone who is not connected to the Creator. Separation from the Creator is, is, is death. There's no life apart from the One who gives life. And that's why God said, I am the One who makes dead and the One who makes alive. And so when we look at what God did for His people in relationship to the Passover... And what they chose in contrast to what the Egyptians chose. And what we see is a bigger revelation of God's grace and a bigger revelation of God's faith. Or, or of their faith in God. And that same grace and faith by which God is still saving people from the plague of death today is made available to us. Furthermore, it shines a light on the second truth in regards to the Passover being a demonstration of God's power, a light on His power to save, a light on His power to protect, 
and a light on his power to sustain life. And like we talked about last week in detail, this was and is still today through the blood of the Lamb. And like the blood of the Lamb that protected the Hebrew people from the plague of death as a sign for the angel to pass over, so too does the blood of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, protect us by grace through faith when death comes for us. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is what has paved the way. The Bible says it's paved the way for reconciliation. It's paved the way for redemption. It's paved the way ultimately for all men, the Bible says, to whosoever will believe in Him to be reconciled back to God, to be brought back into fellowship with God, who is the source of all life and who is the sustainer of life. Now, in addition, or so in addition to the Lord's Passover being a demonstration of God's power, specifically God's power to save, it was also a demonstration of God's faithfulness. It was a demonstration of how God kept and still keeps His promises today. And these were the things, remember, these were the things that the Hebrew people were called to remember as a law, as an ordinance from generation to generation to generation, yearly. And this is made known, this, this demonstration of God's faithfulness, this demonstration of, of God keeping His promises, this is made known by the events that are recorded for us that we read here in verses 31 through 36. And even though it's a detailed accounting of what happened on, it is more so a detailed record of the promises of God coming to fruition. And God had told Moses all of these details of what was going to happen before he went to Pharaoh. And in chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, <clears throat> Moses had in turn been faithful to speak them as a warning to Pharaoh. But even though Pharaoh had the evidence of these nine previous plagues having come to pass, just like, just like Moses had said, just like God had told him, we know that he still refused to believe. And, and, and the awesome thing about that, and it's, it's kind of a subtle point, but I want to bring it forth. The awesome thing about that, and it's important to point out, that Pharaoh's unbelief did not cause God's word to fail. Pharaoh's unbelief did not cause God's promises to fail. So just like God had said the firstborn in Egypt died, and, 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 and in doing so, it caused this great cry to be heard out across all the land of Egypt. Furthermore, in fulfillment to the promises that God had made, Pharaoh then told the Israelites to leave. He said, leave me because it's going to be a blessing. And he was, he was right because his refusal to obey was a curse upon him. And, and yet Pharaoh was still misguided in that because he thought that the Hebrew people were the problem when really he was the problem. His hard heart was the problem. And that's a sad testimony to the fact of where Pharaoh was at. And it's a warning against us because often we, we, we look at others around us and circumstances around us as to the reason for why we have gotten ourselves into certain situations or done certain things and have yet been unwilling to look at ourselves, our own hearts. And we blame. We blame shift. And Pharaoh was, he was blame shifting. He says, okay, leave and bless me. Bless me by getting out of my presence. But that was a, a fulfillment. Pharaoh said, go. Leave. And not only that, this, these verses account one last promise where it says that the Egyptian people freely gave the Hebrew people their, who were their slaves at this point. Remember, we talked about this in detail a little bit last week, but he gave, they gave them their silver, their gold, and their clothing just because they asked for it. 
which, again, was a miraculous thing. Like I mentioned last week, these promises that God fulfilled on that Passover night, they had first been made by God to Abraham centuries before. And these promises were spoken to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 14, where God told Abraham that his descendants would be afflicted, he said, in the land of Egypt. And this is after God told him that he was going to raise him up, his descendants, to be a mighty nation. And, 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 and it would inherit a land, a mighty land. Um, and all these great promises, God said, by the way, your descendants are going to be afflicted in the land of Egypt for 400 years. I don't know about you, but if, if I was Abraham, I'd have been like, really? But in that, God was doing a work. He took a family, 70-some people, and he, he did a miraculous thing. But he also said that he would judge Egypt. He promised Abraham that he would judge Egypt and bring them out, his people out, with a great possession. The point in all of this, guys, is that the Passover being the Lord's Passover, as we read it is over and over and over again, which was to be celebrated annually by every generation that followed, was a reminder of the fact that God keeps His promises. And we're going to talk about at the end of this, if we make it to the end of this today, about how Jesus being our Passover lamb and, and the communion and, and the Lord's Supper and the communion that we take as a result of the remembrance of the Lord's Supper, which was instituted on the night of Passover, is, is that same, if you will, annual remembrance for us of the power of God, of the promises of God. And, 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 and not only of the promises of God, that, that He's spoken to us, but the promises of God that we receive here and that living hope that we have, but of the power of God to save, the power of God to make alive. And so the Passover, as it relates to the Lord, was a demonstration of His power and of His faithfulness to keep His promises. But ultimately, what we see as it relates to it being the Lord's Passover and as it, as it relates to the Lord, it was the Passover, it was the means by which God would deliver His people, Right? And in verse 37, we're, we're made known of this when it tells us that, that, that when the Israelites left Egypt, there was about 600,000 Jewish men who marched out, and they did so boldly. And since we know that there were, um, well, in fact, if you look to Numbers 33, when we talk about them marching out boldly, in Numbers chapter 33, in verses 3 through 4, which accounts this same thing, we're told that they marched out in full view of the Egyptians, who, by the way, were busy burying their dead. It says that the, in thing of 52 that they marched out like an army, in ranks, in order. And could you imagine what that scene would have been like if there were 600,000 Men, which by the way, if you do the math and try to calculate that out, that means that there was probably somewhere around 2 million in total with women and children. And you begin to think about the slaughter that took place, the, the death that came throughout the land of Egypt. It would have been a gruesome scene. As they ultimately paraded before their enemies who were there burying their children and putting them in graves, in their graves as God delivered His people out. And when we're told in verse and, and, and when we're told in verse forty one that this day came to pass at the end of four hundred and thirty years on that very day, we see once again that was in accordance to God's perfect timing. God had foretold of it and he brought it to pass in accordance to his perfect timing. 
And it should remind us that God's got a plan, and God operates on a time schedule in relationship to his plan. And God has a plan for our lives. And just like the Egyptian people or the Hebrew people were called to wait with their belts and their sandals and their staff, we too are to wait at times for God's perfect timing in relationship to his plan for our lives. And I know that can be a hard thing to do, but when it does happen, when we wait on the Lord, he marches us out wherever it is, into the place that he wants us to be, into the thing that he wants us to have, and it's always a great thing. The contrary is when we go marching on our own into the place where we want to be or into the thing that we want to have, and the thing that we think was going to be a blessing to us ends up being a curse. Waiting on the Lord and and realizing that God's got a plan and, and it's in His perfect timing. And when we read in verse 51 that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies in their ranks, we see that it was what we're being told that it was in an orderly fashion. And if you've ever watched some of these movies that account the Exodus, it doesn't always put it that way. It's like they're running and fleeing for their life. Oh. But it's, that's not the case. They just walked out. And even though it says that they left in haste, meaning that, that, that they gathered their stuff and they went, we see that they didn't run out in a state of panic because of any kind of fear. And God doesn't lead us or move us in fear. Ever. And if fear isn't ever a, a factor in moving you or leading you, you know you have to realize that it's not from God. And so what you do is you sit and you wait. And you wait upon the Lord and you call upon Him to take those fears, to ease those fears, and so that you know you can go forward in confidence in leading as God who is the protector, the provider, the one who's proven Himself to be faithful to you by His demonstrations of who He is. Now Israel's exodus from Egypt is mentioned in many places throughout Scripture. And I love it because it's mentioned always in this light as God's greatest demonstration of His power, of God's power in all of the history of Israel. And these details which account the way that God had delivered His people, it really testifies to this, these details here that we read of. Furthermore, when you read about the Passover event, historically speaking, throughout the Bible, many of the prophets, such as Jeremiah in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 in the book of Jeremiah, and also the prophet Hosea in chapter 11 of the book of Hosea in verse 1, they, they point back to the, to the Exodus as proof is God's love for Israel. And, and, and keep in mind, the Passover is directly connected to Jesus and the Lamb of God, and those same truths are made known to us. The greatest demonstration of God's power to us is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the Passover Lamb. Furthermore, we know that 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 God's that 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 that, the, that like the Passover is in is, is is in conjunction to the to the um, the Lord's Supper today, which reminds us of the work that Jesus did for us and our own future Exodus, our Exodus not only out of sin and death, but an Exodus into the life to come. It is also the the, the proof of God's love for us. But in addition to looking. Back, we know that the prophets also look forward. And the prophets also refer to the Exodus when they look forward and when they foretold of a future deliverance that Israel would receive. First, when they were in Babylonian captivity. But even more so, a greater Exodus as, as, as demonstrated or as uh, prophesied about by the prophet Isaiah in many places. In chapter 11, 
verse 15 in chapter 43, verses 14 through 21. And, and then again in chapter 51, verses 9 through 11. And, and, and that exodus that, that um, Isaiah was prophesying about was a, a future exodus where God or where he foretold of God promises of a future regathering of Israel out from the Gentile nations is what Isaiah says. And back into the promised land. And in doing so, Isaiah compared that to the Exodus over and over and over and saying, like God had done, God will do. And today we have the good fortune, guys, of seeing this modern day Exodus take place before our very eyes as we know that Israel was reestablished as a nation, as a state, a sovereign state on May 14, 1948. And ever since then, God has been bringing His people out from the Gentile nations back into their land. An exodus. Now, as we prepare to wrap this up, I want to do so by looking at a fourth aspect of the Passover. And it's in regards to um, Moses. In regards to how the Passover relates to Moses. And, and we've got to look at Moses because, you know what, we're like Moses. We've talked about this over and over again. Now, he was a knucklehead, but God did a really cool thing in him, and he did a mighty work through him and would continue to do so as he led his people through the wilderness into the promised land. But as we look at how the Passover relates to, to Moses, we need to, to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. You can turn there if you want. I want to read it to you. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 through 29, it says this. It says, By faith, Moses forsook Egypt. And we know that Moses was, um, as a baby, as an infant, he was put in the Nile River by his mom, who was looking to save his life. And Pharaoh's daughter gathered him up, and he was raised in Pharaoh's house, educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was a powerful guy. Many people believed that he was going to be the next Pharaoh. But God intervened into his life. That was not God's plan. And it says, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And we know that God, that Moses had a God encounter. And so by faith, it says, he kept the Passover. By faith, again speaking of Moses, of this event, in relationship to how the, 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 the Passover relates to Moses, keep this in mind, the fourth aspect of it, is that by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, it goes on to say, that they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, the next event that we'll read about here in a couple weeks, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Guys, in light of this, what I want to point out as we, we wrap this up this morning is, is that in light of this testimony of Moses' faith, counted here in Hebrews chapter 11, we first got to remember, we should not forget that when Moses began this whole adventure, he was fearful, right? He was, he was, he was timid. He wasn't bold. As a matter of fact, he had many excuses for why he could not do why God had called, what God had called him to do. Lord, don't send me. Send somebody else. I can't speak. All these different excuses that he, he, he came up with. Yet, as God made a concession to him with his brother Aaron and going and being his mouthpiece, we really see that only lasted for a little while as Moses' faith grew, but he went forward. He went forward even with a little bit of faith. And sometimes we think that a little faith is not very good faith. But the Bible says that even a little bit of faith has the power to move a mountain. 
But, but Moses went forward in faith, even in a little faith with his brother Aaron. And he went and he confronted Pharaoh time after time after time. And, and finally we read here in regards to the Passover that, that, that he conquered, God through him conquered Pharaoh and all of the power of Egypt, the most mightiest nation on the planet earth at the time. Not even one sword was raised. And because of his faith in God, he, according to Hebrews chapter 11, or Exodus chapter 11, you can look back there with me in verse 3, it says this about Moses at this time. He became very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the Hebrew people. And this passage in Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that, that Moses accomplished all that we read about here by his faith. By his faith in the living God. And the fact of the matter is that the Passover and the Exodus, both, there are memorials for us today that ultimately testify to the power of faith. And to live by faith, and we hear this all the time, it's one of those Christian phrases that we use as we speak our Christianese to one another. Everybody else in the world goes, what are you talking about, right? And we talk about living by faith. But let me break it down for you, because as we look at this example and how the Passover relates to Moses and what it means to us, to live by faith simply means that we rely on God's Word, or we rely on God, and we obey His Word regardless of how we feel, Right? Moses had some feelings. He went forward, and regardless of how he felt, that's what Hebrews 11 is telling us. Regardless of our circumstances, we, 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 we rely on God, obey His Word, to live by faith, regardless of our circumstances, or ultimately regardless of the consequences. And that's what's being spoken to us about Moses. And that's ultimately was revealed as it relates to him. Going forward, living by faith, and regardless of how we feel, regardless of our circumstances, or regardless of the consequences. Living by faith. So as the Passover relates to Moses, we see that, that by faith, Moses kept the Passover. It says, even the slaying of the lambs and the putting on of the blood of the doors, which ultimately we know looked just as, as, as foolishness or ridiculous to the, to the Egyptians. And not only that, it was certainly offensive to them. They worshiped these creatures. Furthermore, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, which refers back to Exodus chapter 10 in this account, specifically a time when, 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 when Moses stood before Pharaoh for that very last time and Moses was, was life was put in jeopardy because Pharaoh said, you show back up here again, I'm going to kill you. That's what he said. And he drove him out from before his face, he says. But yet, Moses went forward in faith even though Pharaoh could have taken his life and had threatened to do so. But God kept him safe. And because Moses believed in God's promises, he had no fear of what Pharaoh might do. And he went and did what God had told him to do. And ultimately it was his faith in God's word that brought Moses back to Egypt to, and faith in, in God's word that caused him to lead his people, God's people out of Egypt. And it was faith in God's word that took um, ultimately took them out of Egypt. And it would be faith as we read here in, in, at the end of that passage in Hebrews, faith in God's word that would separate him and his people, God's people, from the Egyptians as they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Guys, in light of this, we're going to end. Justin, if you want to come up in the worship team. We should be encouraged. We should be encouraged and remember that no matter what our circumstances may be, we can trust God. 
We can trust that God's going to bring us out of whatever we're in, and He's going to bring us through. He's going to bring us out, and He's going to bring us through. And in closing, I want to point out that Jesus, as I mentioned this already, guys, think about this. This is really cool. He established the Lord's Supper, the Supper after He had led His disciples in the observance of the Lord's Passover. On that night, He gathered together with His disciples in that upper room, and He led them through the Lord's Passover together, and they observed that together, and then He gave them this new command. And He instituted the Lord's Supper. And this reminds me that that it reminds us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. He's the Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And so each and every time we take communion together and share in the Lord's Supper, what we are doing is we're also looking back. We're looking back upon the power of God that's been demonstrated in our lives, the promises of God that's been made and kept to us. And we remember His death, but we also look ahead, just like the prophets of old did, and we anticipate our exodus, His coming. When Jesus returns, and we too will experience the wonderful freedom from this life, to be caught up in the twinkling of an eye, to be changed, to be in His presence forevermore. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13-18, it tells us this. It says that the dead in Christ will be raised and the living believers, we will be caught up with them and taken to heaven to be with our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we long for that day. We look forward to it. And God, as we're reminded of the work that You've done for us, Lord, I pray that You would encourage us today, no matter what we're going through, that You, Lord, will take us out and take us through. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us?